So how's it going, Divya? It's going well. Great to have a chance to talk to you on the podcast. Yeah, same. Back at you. And hi, who who else is joining us for at this least is the next several my, minutes? Yeah, this is my 15-month-old son. He'll be here just for a few minutes, and, and then it'll be just the two of us. He's our, our podcast guest Likely, today. Yeah, <laughs> one of our easiest to understand guests, I would bet. You know, just very clear and Absolutely. direct in a straightforward way. This is no slur against our previous guests, but we I feel like we invite <laughs> people on in some ways for loving the galaxy brain takes and the beautiful thing about a 15 month year old is just you know the That's simple right. clear wants i imagine i'm speaking as if i have any actual parenting expertise but <laughs> it's all good one day, yeah one so day. we don't we don't have a guest for today but we have a plan that sometimes just the two of us are going to talk and catch up about things that are on our mind yeah seems good and before we started recording, we were just exchanging a few predictions about some political stuff, you know, as you do. So I thought I thought maybe we would we would talk about that. Yeah, as maybe some listeners know and, and Divya knows, I I was about to say I don't have many vices, but I don't think that's for me to say. But one vice that I do have is I very much enjoy betting on politics. And I will say it has been exciting to see that Dictit is looks like it's gonna survive which yeah, I, I was actually much more negative about a few months ago. I did not think it was going to happen. Yeah, there wasn't, unfortunately, I think, there was no prediction market for Predict It on Predict It. So we were left Not to... on Predict It. There was one on, like, Polymarket, <laughs> which I don't think I ever... I, I, I have... Uh, the crypto ones have always been just a little... I don't know. I've, I've done some stuff with them, but I've always been like, uh, I feel like they're about to fail or about to run away. But yes, Polymarket had one. But yeah, it was not one on Predict It. That would have been way cooler. Yeah, I'm also a long time political better. I one of my at the this is actually I don't know if you'll ever listen to this. Hello to my dad. If if, if you do, we had a wonderful short conversation with my dad back when. So I bet on Obama on I guess it was in trade at the time when he was running the mm. first time. And I remember I because my dad was he was a big like he, his read was Obama's going to win. He was like, this guy's very charismatic. He's going to win. And so I was talking to him and I was like, all right, well, you think he's going to win? He's trading it like whatever it was like 57% right before the first debate or something like that. I was like, well, how much do you think I should bet? And he was like, yeah, you should bet like 50 bucks or something. And I was kind of like, well, okay, but if you're so sure. And we talked about it for a while and then he, we hung up yeah. and then he called me back maybe an hour later and he was like, wait, how much do you have liquid? I was like, yeah, this is the right question because in fact, yeah, yeah, it was a big, and you know, I mean, I was, I think I was just out of college. I did not, I had very little money at the time, but I think I did put <laughs> a little like liquid $1, on, it, on Obama and nice. it paid off. So that was then, you know, then I was kind of hooked after that. Yeah, it's, it's compelling. It's, uh, we don't need to get into all the very good reasons prediction markets are, are awesome and, and should be more widely used, but yeah, it's just it's it's also just fun because I feel like when you're kind of chatting like with your dad, like I, I talk about politics with my with my dad as well and with friends, it's really it's easy to get into the kind of like blather mode, and it's both nice to have as a forcing function thinking about what your actual bet is going to turn into or like what this actually means in terms of betting, and also it just adds like a nice little like I, I guess this is for people who are more into sports than I am. It's the same reason why gambling on sports is probably fun. It just add when then when you keep following it, you get to like have that additional 
zing of excitement. I'm like, oh, I've got got money on this debate. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, and I also like I bet on Trump the first time, but I didn't have a the thing I was just saying before we started recording was that I I think like many very online people underrated Biden last time. I think I didn't make any big bets. I don't remember. I think I made some small small ones. I don't remember what they were. But I like yeah. the people that I personally knew, and this was in the primary, weren't that excited about Biden. So I I guess I didn't really see it. But I think that I think it's an easy mistake for people like me to make because I think the fundamentals were actually pretty strong. Totally. And my husband Bill kept pointing this out to me. Respect. I definitely did not see that happen in the in the 2020 one either. Yeah, as I was, I was saying, I feel like I'm still a little bit surprised that Biden won the 2020 primary. And it's not just because of the fundamentals thing, me ignoring them, but rather the Democratic Party, the way I remember it was like the Democratic Party elites got together in a smoke-filled room, one imagines, and convinced the other candidates to drop out so that instead of Bernie winning in their Super Tuesday, I think it was, mm. Biden was the one. So I think in part, I was surprised at the unity of the Democratic Party to deny it to Bernie and give it to Biden. Yeah, so that I think that's kind of interesting because remember, I forget whose thesis this was, but like the party decides that thesis. Yep. Yep. Or like that was a really good predictor, like how many of the delegates had pledged. Basically, like support within the party was meant to be a very good predictor. And at least the way I remember it, maybe this theory was around for a long time, but like I was started reading articles about that theory not so long before then. Trump won the Republican primary. And so I guess I, th- at that point I was like, well, maybe the party doesn't decide because that clearly wasn't right. what the party elites were going for. He didn't have any of those early people pledged to him. So then I thought the theory was dead. But as you say, then with Biden, it seems like that theory was no, alive I and think strong. It's split. I, I think the party decides on the Democratic side and I don't think the party decides on the Republican side. And I don't know how long this does not strike me as a stable equilibrium place. Like it doesn't right. seem like, like something is not finished adjusting, but that is my read over the past, I guess, eight years. Wow. Wait, time is yeah, weird. Yeah, I think eight's right. Eight's right. Mm. I think the ultimate example of party not deciding is the Jeb Trump matchup. And yeah, I don't yeah. know, I guess in some sense then what like Trump went on to, to do against Clinton, like that's obviously a different kind of party deciding thing, but certainly some larger narrative of anti-elitism. Yeah, and in fact, like the thing I... I most strongly remember from those debates was that it, I guess it wasn't Trump, but it was when Chris Christie called out Rubio. Do you remember this for repeating himself? Oh, I remember that. Because yeah, oh, that I was, was great. It with Will and in real time, I was like, wait, wait, did you just rewind for a second? Because it was so I, I don't know if you guys the listeners know what I'm talking about, but Rubio had Describe some hand a line we have about a young like, group of them. Yeah, because they were like, oh, well, but, you know, we don't want another inexperienced politician like Obama or something. And he was like. The problem with Obama wasn't that he didn't have experience. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he said this whole thing. And then Chris Christie responded. And then he started saying it again. And then Chris Christie called him out. And he started saying it a third time. And it was very bizarre. And to me, it was a little bit of like a mask off moment for like, yeah, this isn't really. A lot of people would prefer something less canned, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. It's one of the moments that made me quite like Chris Christie without knowing honestly that much about how he governed in New Jersey. I was just somewhat impressed with his quickness on the take and ability to kind of like orient 
and not yeah, have totally. the canned lines <laughs> that they're practicing. Because I do think what's funny is that I, I think political consultants and strategists tell the politicians, like, look, a debate is your chance to get your message directly to people. And the key thing to get your message directly to people is you repeat the lines over and over again. And so I have this story that like Rubio was like really trying to internalize that. Actually, now as I describe this, it makes me feel bad for whatever he's a senator, he's fine. Um, but like, he was like really practicing it. He was like doing the thing that he was supposed to do. But that's not actually, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's not what you actually should be doing on some level. Yeah, I think it's also tricky because I'm more sympathetic to the Rubio strategy when people are talking to the press, where the press, at least my dynamic right. of like what people look, my, my impression of what people learn in press trainings and like how I would want to talk to the press is that they'll ask me some yeah. questions and then I just want to say my canned statement because they're looking for a quote and all I want them to use is the thing that I thought about. But again, like a debate, yep. it's a little different. It's it's televised. It's a little different. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the best parts, I think, about everything that happened with 2016 crazy election all that is some look it's like it was a real win for aliveness if you don't like trump it's like he is a very alive person and it's similar in that moment i know it was with christie and with rubio but the whole thing is just like this is yeah like i think some rejection against stiltedness so the other was, the other moment yeah. I remember from that, and this is this is one of those little things. I guess I was very into the debates at the time. I don't know if you remember. It was I think when they didn't introduce Ben Carson, like they had an order, and they were supposed to tell everybody to come out, okay. and they skipped yeah. him for some. Or maybe he, sorry, maybe they didn't skip him. Maybe he didn't hear it. Whatever it was, Ben Carson was standing there, and he was clearly confused. And then they started calling yeah. other people, and it was like it was so fun. For me, at least, to see them react in real time, like I think, like Ted Cruz was kind of like, okay, like, and then he went, and like someone else, yeah. And Trump, Trump was, he was more, he stood there and he like put his hand on Ben Carson, and he clearly could tell what was happening, and he didn't want to go out yeah. until Ben Carson also went out. And it was another one of those moments where, I mean, I guess this time it was Trump, last time it was Chris Christie, but sort of yeah. win for like, oh, he was, he was actually paying attention and not, not following script, right, right. And then he, he came yeah. out with him as like a gesture of like. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that's sorry. a perfect Those example. Those are my campaign yeah. yeah, I'm trying to... It's it's kind of blending together now for me with the 2012 one of, like, Mitt Romney. I keep wanting to give mentions of Mitt Romney in the in debates, but that was obviously four years prior to it. Actually, the only thing I remember from the Obama-Mitt Romney debates were Romney something with his dog on top of his car binders full of wisdom those like random attacks (laughs) that like shouldn't have landed uh and then also like romney like betting obama like 10 grand about something like offering to and this might actually i don't remember that yeah i remember it being like talked about as a gaffe but exactly i was like people (laughs) pointed this as a gaffe but i'm like Obviously, we don't all, you know, that's it's big money, Mr. Romney. You should have said true, uh, true. should have said a dollar to connect with people. But uh, I still, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Yeah, I get, this was all, by the way, on my mind because I was like, what happened this week? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess Biden's running, which is not really news. But it's, I guess it's a little bit news. Yeah. In terms of the matchup. It looks like presumably it's going to be Biden as a Democratic nominee, though I do want to how much yeah. weight do you put on somebody well, else challenging him for the crown? I think I'm fighting the last war here where I'm like, well, I underestimated him last time. So I kind of, 
I don't want to make any strong bets, yeah. but I think it'll probably be Biden if he's running. He's running. I think the establishment will be behind him. It's not that I think there aren't other people, but I haven't seen anyone so compelling where, I don't know, it seems like a real uphill battle to fight an incumbent supported by the establishment. I can't think of a time where this successfully happened, right? I can think of times where in the past people have challenged the sitting president for their nomination and they've weakened him, but never to the point where he didn't get the nomination. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. I mean, I think it happens with, you know, with congressmen. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's, I can't think of a time when it's happened with the president either. And I don't think it'll happen here. The only scenario where I see something like that happen is Biden is incapacitated in some it's way and problem. withdraws because of a health thing. And, but that is, is definitely anybody's game. This is maybe a little, I don't know, a little of a tangent. But did you happen to watch The Diplomat? It's a Yo, new why Netflix is show. You talking about the diplomat. You're talking about it. Daniel Filing's talking about it. Well, I think it's the top rated show on Netflix. Some people saying it's like a West Wing successor. I said okay. yes. A friend of mine, Andrew Reddick, on Twitter was like, well, maybe not, because the West Wing really captured the dynamic of what it's like to work to have that type of job in a way. Anyway, there's some debate about how good it is. I watched it. But okay, now I want to go on a tangent. Sorry, you go first. No, okay, I want to keep hearing about the diplomat. I definitely, yeah. when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is supposed to be, this president, I think was supposed to be a Biden type. And certainly he was like a Democratic president. And gotcha. there were, I don't know, these jokes about like, oh, like the doctor won't let him have coffee or like better not let him go off script. I was like, okay, I think that's, that's what they're doing with this guy. Yeah. That's, you that's fun. I haven't like seen any comedy about Biden that hasn't been about his I guess it's just, it's hard for me to think of comedy about Biden at this point, Joe. No, but that, man, that all lands. I, mean, I, I, thought, I was just going to say. I think they made him, it wasn't like, I think they made him a pretty sharp character, ultimately. I feel like gotcha. that was sort of a fun thing about The Diplomat was, it was usually like, oh, these people are doing something more interesting than we think at first. Not, I guess that's too spoilery for some people, but not for me. Yeah. Not for me. I've, now I've got to watch The Diplomat also because it feels like all of my friends have just suddenly decided that we need to watch The Diplomat. So I, I, I thought it was think, pretty good. I, I'm very susceptible to peer pressure. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I tried rewatching The West Wing and it did not hold up in the way that I remembered it when I yeah. watched it. I was quite young when I remember when watching it. And I feel like now when I watch a few episodes, maybe... I'm just not as idealistic. Maybe the times are not as idealistic as they were in the 90s, early 2000s. Definitely some idealistic times, yeah. Very idealistic times. And West Wing is so idealistic. And it's like cliche now to compare that show with Veep. But it does. That is <laughs> yeah. the comparison that comes to mind whenever you watch it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, The Diplomat, I, I would say it, it has some of that idealism too, for sure. Mm. Not Not from all the characters, but... I it, well, I I should probably stop talking about the diplomat, but it, I would say it's like a deep state type of. Idea. This is how we get the sponsorship. <laughs> this is this is how we finally get Netflix to sponsor the pod. Yeah, that would that would be a big get. Mm-hmm. But okay, no, I was going to ask you. So outside of the nomination, and because we both enjoy betting and making predictions on things. What's your what's your take on Biden overall in the general, who, who, whoever he's up against on the Republican side? Right. I mean, well, if it's Trump, I, I mean, Biden won last time against Trump. I tend to think they're both weaker candidates this time around. 
I don't have a strong prediction. Mm. I guess like if I really had to say, I I think maybe Biden, but I'd want to. It's not a very informed guess. And I think I'm saying that because I'm like, well, that's what happened last time. Right. So I sort of did. I, like, I mean, I feel like it's a useful joystick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and on this matchup, have there been rematches? There have been rematches in presidential election history, right? But I don't, I don't remember what happened with them. There was one person, I want to say Benjamin Harrison, who became president again, right? It was like out of order. Like Trump would do if he president. won. Exactly. I, I but think, was he running? So, Did he be an incumbent? Let, let me look it up. That's a good question. That I'm not sure. Okay, so he, Benjamin Harrison, is the 23rd president of the United States. Let's see. This might not be the right guy because he's just saying he's the 23rd. I think it's got to be someone. We can cut this out, maybe. I think it's someone else. <laughs> I'm willing to let people know that I don't know relevant facts about Benjamin Harrison. <laughs> yeah, that seems fine. I don't want to be bored. Okay. Oh, do you mean Grover Cleveland? If that's the right answer, then yes. Yeah. Grover Cleveland is the only president in U.S. history to serve two non-consecutive presidential there we go. terms. He won the popular vote in the middle election, though. Wow. That's kind of interesting. And so who, but the ah, question and is. Benjamin Harrison won the electoral oh, college was, vote I, in between. <laughs> I get it. Okay. So Benjamin Harrison, you, you were right to reference him, but he was there in the middle. Thank goodness. And yes, yeah, so he was, and he was or was not an incumbent. No, he beat, okay. So he must have beat Benjamin Harrison uh, without uh, who he lost to before which would count in this case. Interesting. Yeah. Benjamin Harrison was the 23rd president. And then did he run again to fail at becoming the 24th? Yep. Yeah, I, I looks like he did. So he th okay, so this is our one. This is our precedent. This is like the the Biden. This Trump is our president. Yeah. Okay. And this is also now the president. I'm going to quote all the time in the rematch, <laughs> which is it's a classic Grover Cleveland Benjamin Harrison setup. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so it has happened. Trump could do it. Yep. And I was saying I was saying before the show, or well, I'll just say now is. I am I am I am pro Trump in this matchup. I think it's more likely. I, I I think I am bullish on Trump in this match, in large part because the 2020 campaign was such an outlier in terms of how it was conducted because of COVID that I think the kind of advantages that Biden had in that situation, like the drains on stamina that happened in that kind of campaign. He's not going to be able to pull again. He's going to need to be out 
in public, right. even if the media does give him more of a pass. I don't think that's going to be enough. And yeah, I just think Trump seems far more robust in this environment than Biden does. Yeah, he's, I mean, literally he the campaign doing rallies and stuff, right? So, li- yeah. 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 Yeah, that is different. Uh, I think it's a good argument. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I see, I see also on the other side, which is just like, you know, we've run this once, didn't go in Trump's flavor that time, and went to Biden's. That should have some evidentiary weight. Well, so I guess the next question, though, is do you think Trump will be the nominee? I do. I think okay. Trump is going to be the nominee. I think it's I wish I'd done a better job of actually recording my predictions earlier, because now I feel a, like a little bit it's a little easier now to make that prediction. I think I had that right. prediction a few months ago as well, which is just the polling is tracked. The Republican Party is not a party that gets to decide the nominee for president for Republicans. They once upon yeah. a time maybe, but at this point, that they don't have that, and voters seem to at this point overwhelmingly like Trump. I I need to look back at how the polling has changed since the indictment because my impression is that that caused his mm. popularity among Republican voters to go up. And okay. I see. Uh, I think that that I, I and I think that I think it's interesting to like. I wonder what I, I have no idea what backroom machinations go on in these kind of things. I doubt that it actually influenced this to like try to push him to be the nominee or against or what people were thinking. But it does seem like the outcome of all of this has just mostly been he's become more popular as the candidate. Yeah, I guess I. I guess I make the same prediction because again, I'm like trying to fight the last war. I'm like, I think the same yeah. things that caused me to underrate Biden last time caused me to intuitively underrate Trump this time. And so probably, probably it will be Trump. It is it's super early. That's the only thing I can say That's it. on the yeah. other side of it. I think the super early thing doesn't really matter for Biden because he's an incumbent unless, as we say, there's some sort of health problem. But with Trump, I feel like, I don't know, it counts somewhat, like it makes me more uncertain. It makes me not. Sure. Yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, agreed, if it was this kind of polling and we were about to enter voting or like about to go into the debates, that seems compelling. Like, I would, I would feel even more confident. I, it just seems like the, the only like black swans that I'm anticipating, which makes it obviously not a black swan, is if there is some radically different person not anywhere in the like not not a senator not a governor who comes in and has the money and like some kind of existing base that could really throw things off but i just can't even there's nobody that immediately comes to mind who who elon has that can't kind of be like, president he's not a natural elon person. can't be president <laughs> i think dwayne the rock johnson oh yeah, yeah that would do a it good choice to just be a celebrity <laughs> which does seem like right. that seems like a better lifestyle <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what Tom Hanks's politics are, but I, I suspect that he also will just be content being a charismatic stuff. This is a this is a bet that I had with a friend that did not come out my way last time. And so I don't know what to believe, but it, mm-hmm. it seems like we should have many more celebrities entering into politics than we do. And I was betting that the Democratic nominee in the last election cycle would be a celebrity. celebrity. I was completely wrong. Mariana Williamson underperformed, but <laughs> it still seems it still seems weird that we don't. 
Yeah, they, I mean, they have a pretty high success rate when they choose to run, right? I, I feel like I've so. tried to look this yeah. up. Yeah, I think they do well, but maybe it's like what you say. I know that media they... anchors do. Media anchors? Oh, well, okay, so the, mm-hmm. we have to at least touch on that. Sorry, I forgot what the other current thing is from this week. There is a current thing, which is Tucker Luck Fox. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. perfect. Speaking of media Natural anchors, segue. Yes. Yeah, I don't have a ton... I don't know. I have sort of the same speculation everyone else has about that, I guess. Which is, it doesn't seem uh, great for Fox. Yeah, doesn't seem great. I don't know what their stock price ended up at, but I do remember looking right after the announcement and it, like, I think it took like a 5% hit. What makes, I mean, yeah, and is it, like, do we know how much it was Fox saying it was over versus Tucker saying it was over? I feel like I haven't seen anything clear yeah. on this speculation i've heard and it seems like it's all come into the same place now is that Mm -hmm. it was fox saying it is over and that it did not strike me as a shareholder maximizing decision but rather the text and communications that came out as part of pre-trial discovery for the dominion lawsuit had tucker really bad mouthing some of the Fox execs and management. Oh, I see. So that does that does make sense, I guess, why they would do something that seems so against their interests. Because I guess that's a typical right. sort of situation where people do things that are superficially, at least, against their interests. Yeah, and this seems much more plausible than what I initially thought it was, was a surprise entrant into the Republican race. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think... it makes more sense. Absolutely. I mean, I think if Tucker runs, he has a very, very good shot. I think. I mean, I don't. What well, I don't. I haven't really thought about this that hard. Intuitively, it seems. No, to me, uh, he seems like, like he's yes. the only one. Yeah, he's he's popular. I think a lot of people like him. I, I like him. He's charismatic. I don't know. He's he, he's yeah. like got some weird ability to draw from a lot of different pools of energy. That's um, right. I wonder if, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I saw predicted, uh, unpredicted, man, are we just going to become a predicted podcast? I don't know, I've got to stop referencing it so much, but his, his shares did jump to at least five cents, like, after the news. I bet it has gone down since, but I don't know, I'll maybe, maybe people think now he can no longer be a Fox News host, maybe he should settle for trying to run for president. Yeah, he's 3% right now, behind Glenn Youngkin, Tim Scott, and Nikki Haley at 6%. Mike mm. Pence only two percent. I mean, I guess, I guess I don't think it's going to be Pence, but two two seems low for a VP. I don't it's know. Pretty low. Yeah, I think that's much lower. I don't know. I would put him over. Well, I don't know. Certainly, he's he's in the same camp in my mind as Youngkin and Nikki Haley. Yeah, this is, by the way, you know, this is the era of the of my people, the female. South Asian or partly South Asian women finally in politics. Yeah, Kamala Harris. Finally, being the first. Yes. I didn't think I was going to see a half Indian VP in my time. So representation at, at last. I mean, hey, we haven't actually talked. Nobody talks about that part. <laughs> I'll say it. Nobody's, I, I'm here. nobody's I'm talking that. about it. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you feel like now you, you can know, do it? There's no longer a glass ceiling. Less for than you, I might have thought. Less than I might have yeah. What's happening? I don't know. That was not. <laughs> we might have different opinions on this. I I feel like she. I, nobody. Why am I hesitating on saying this? She's not my favorite. I think. I yeah. think I, I've I've liked other VPs. 
<laughs> being overly diplomatic on this point. <laughs> That's right. Hmm. It is clearly a sign that if Biden, for whatever reason, did not run again, I do not think that Kamala Harris would get the nomination. Who do you think would? Huh. I really don't know. I think maybe I'm blanking on his name, but the California Judge? governor. Oh, Newsom. Yeah, Not Newsom. Me. That makes sense. Newsom. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe Newsom, but that's another one where I'm a little bit like, well, maybe it'll just be some person who's not on oh, our radar also, at the moment. I didn't really look into this, but there was some headline about that he sent, he was like sending in the, not the National Guard, but like the California state something to like clean up San Francisco. Oh, oh yeah, I did see this. I did not look into the details at all. Definitely felt like the kind of thing where if you're maybe setting up for a run, yes, you want to be able to point right. to that. Yeah, I mean, because otherwise, like, I'm like, why now? Like, that's I, I don't right. I don't get the thing unless unless it's that. It's absolutely so people can't point to the trash fire that is San Francisco <laughs> and say you did nothing about this. Oh, no, it is National Guard. Okay, I just saw a headline from two hours ago saying, I don't know the the political leanings of oh no this is fox i see no signs of california national guard in san francisco to tackle fentanyl crisis is what fox ktvu has to say about this as of recently i think that's i think that's fair <laughs> reporting i'm not even what was the national guard gonna do about like are i don't believe they have the power to arrest oh, wait, it says, people right california's national guard to help san francisco fight fentanyl. yeah i don't know I I'm, I'm feel like there's some amendment, and now again we are stretching my <laughs> civics knowledge, right. but I don't believe the National Guard can come in. Yeah, I think they're everybody. supposed to help law enforcement. They will, yeah, through this new collaborative partnership, we are providing more law enforcement resources and personnel to crack down on crime, et cetera, et cetera. Do you remember oh, yeah. Newsom's very, I don't know what to call it, but his rhetoric in the, like, March 2020 on COVID. He was making COVID speeches and I was watching them because I was trying to understand what the COVID response was going to be. Yeah. And he kept talking about the nation state of California. And I think someone called him on it and they were like, what do you mean by that? And he was sort of like, well, it's like as big as, you know, many countries. And so that's, that's another thing. I, 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 I don't so remember like it. A, that's... Maybe a little prone towards some grandiose language. Yeah, that's, that's pretty excellent. I mean, I do, I, I, I do think there's a point that he's right about there. <laughs> not, not the language. That is crazy. It, it, it's like dramatically underappreciated the degree to which California is a a huge economy, huge cultural force, all that. But then also B is just like if it were its own country, would be a failed state, or would be like an example of like an Italy level kind of mismanagement. I think. I'm not sure yeah. if you agree with me on this, but it just I mean, seems like, yeah. No, it does, right. It's not even on the housing side, but just on the like kind of one party. Okay, so I will defend and... it a little bit on the housing side. I mean, I think the housing has mm. been a disaster, but it seems like the Yimby movement has outperformed my expectations by a lot. And I think it really did come oh. out of California, which maybe because, you know, people were desperate. And so that's not. That's not to California's Desperation credit. Desperation bre breeds innovation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly the political... I mean, I guess this is a cold take, but it's the political thing that I've been the most excited about in years is the success of mm. the Yimby thing. Yeah. No, it's, I, 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 it seems great. And as like an example of a... 
actually organic political movement, like fueled by just like people. I mean, I actually, I should learn more about the history of the VMB movement before I say this, but it strikes me as something that was no, like, right. yeah. very grassroots in a lot of a way. Yeah. And then it wasn't that many years before people, like, I think that when London Breed was first elected, I remember in that mayoral election, it was like people wanted the Yimby endorsement. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I didn't even realize, like, right. I didn't know it was net popular enough that, that the candidates would be looking for that. Yeah. But, but they got it. So or I think, I think London Breed did get it. And I, you know, in terms of actual, like, it's a moving at time, yeah, I could say both like this Yimby thing seems to have grown faster than I expected. And it's like, okay, but what's the actual rate of housing being built? And I'm like, well, that's, mm. I think still very slow, but like the ADU laws, like the, there is stuff happening. And I, I think I expect yeah. it to be gaining momentum and, and being a real thing. I, I think you're right about that. Do you think it would, do you see this becoming a national movement that yes, translates I into- do changes in other states okay yeah i think there have been at least i so i'm i'm far from an expert on this but i think at least multiple states have like laws on that are either being proposed or maybe some of them passed to allow people to create adus accessory dwelling units in their backyards i think that that the thing that i heard about that so far is to kind of like not bank on it too much in the short term because even when laws get passed it's often like lots of challenges and technicalities and i think the california one has been around long enough that it's sort of well understood and more ironed out but yeah i think that's i see that as maybe a leading indicator i mean i think i think housing is is a major is a top issue for people you know people our age and people in general and i don't i mean i think yeah, I guess that's my prediction. I think Yimbyism will take off and be more of a national thing and we'll see it like substantially grow in the next four years or so. I, I, I think you're right. I haven't given it as much thought, but your description of it resonates in part because I feel like in the last election cycle, a number of Republican candidates were running more or less on a almost on a housing policy agenda where they were pushing an idea that I also endorse and think is a good point, which is like, you should be able to own a home, raise a family on one person's salary. Like it should not require the entire family to be in the workforce in order to be able to have the quote unquote traditional American dream. And I think many of them, I'm, I'm particularly thinking about the, candidates running in Arizona and Ohio on the Republican side were, yeah, really pointing out the way in which there's like a systematic discrimination against young people that kind of manifests itself a lot in housing policy. So I don't know, yeah. I'm optimistic about that in part because I do think tying it into the, the generation gaps, the divides there, also kind of points at the way in which, okay, over the next four years, over the next eight years, you'd expect to see this become more and more of just the default main view of the, of, of, of both of the, of the, of the groups. Yeah, I think that's so, right. Yeah, that seems good. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one more thing about that, and it's going to include a segue, yeah. right? Let me get excited. Yeah, so I, see it. This is maybe a bit of a cynical take also on Yimby, but I think, I don't know, that in a lot of ways, the economic fundamentals for America right now are not looking awesome from my perspective. Mm. And I think that at a certain point, I don't know, I guess I see like a lot of 
what I would think of as economically inefficient policies is sort of like a luxury good that politicians mm. are more in favor of when times are good. And then if actually right. like economic growth is sort of iffy or like people have been like, eh, we don't feel like our wages have been going up for a while. And like politicians are like a little more eye on their ball for trying to create economic growth. And I, I think Yimbyism is one of the easier ways to do that. I think the other one, here's my segue, is that I think this is going to inform, I, I think the AI thing is going to be really tricky and they're going to be forces pro and anti in the government. And nice. one of the things pushing politicians to support it is going to be they're looking for economic growth somewhere, anywhere. Mm. Right. Okay. So something like we, it, everybody wants, all politicians want some baseline economic growth. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't always need to be maximized and trade off against other values. Maybe in fact, like too much economic growth has some kind of feedback loop trigger where then more <laughs> signaling values are, are pushed. I don't know. That sounds a little too galaxy brained, but well, I mean, I, I would like someone to do an analysis on this point, but I do. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I Yeah, I, I guess that is something I think that like more people can talk more about things that don't matter very much when times are good. That's, yep. This, that this that, is that definitely seems true to me. Yeah. And, and you know, um, someone could also argue with me about like whether like maybe other people would be like, no, the economy is going fine. Like, what are you talking about? I, I'm not super, like I said, optimistic, but. I don't know that that's a super uncontroversial position. I, I'm not sure. No, seems right to me, at least. Not that I, mean, I see like COVID, okay, I think here's it. an uncontroversial thing: is COVID was obviously yeah. a big hit. Yep. And I think it wasn't mm -hmm. that bad because, in fact, a lot of people cut back and saved money. And so, you know, insofar as people were saving, they can now spend it, and and that'll that'll show up. And I think it has been, but but yeah, I think still, obviously, major blow. Yeah. And at major blow, the huge amounts of inflation that we've had yeah. since the general just sense of fragility, that's not really an economic indicator, but it's certainly to me, one of the takeaways is, was like something about many more things being up for grabs than I expected. And I think that applies to the economy as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess, well, like, I don't know, what do you think about an argument that AI will cause economic benefits, but they'll be very like localized to a few firms or to a right. few individuals. I guess I tend to have in mind some version of AI where it's like not actually being that widely distributed of a benefit. So I suspect politicians yeah, I think that's... not to be as responsive. Well, yeah, I guess I wonder. I I think so like I think Tucker actually he gave a speech about the I think we talked about this about like no, he doesn't mm. want self-driving cars because truck driver is what, like the most common occupation in America. And this is not going to be a smooth situation. And anyway, so like, yeah, I, th I think there's a real thing that politicians will be responsive to there. I also tend to think, though, that some politicians, rightly or wrongly, like, I don't know how much this feeds into public opinion. I think somewhat. I think because public opinion is somewhat based on this, we'll want to be like, no, I want overall GDP to go up and then I can run on that. Right. So I, right. I guess I see both pressures. And it doesn't seem. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, think I think that makes. It doesn't sense. seem like an entirely pro-social. I mean, I don't know. I guess it seems neither entirely pro-social nor anti-social. It seems like a sort of somewhat unaligned political goal. Yeah, in some ways, I think I'm for politicians being 
having a, a multiplicity of values they're trying to benefit most of yeah. the time. Like, I think I would want the people in office to both be trying to cause GDP to go up, but also not sacrifice children to a demon in order to make <laughs> GDP grow up, which is not what I'm saying is happening here. But like, you, you know, let's have some values there. Or, I don't know what my point is there. I mean, is there anything you want to say about, I don't know, any of your latest thoughts on mm. AI while we're talking about it? Yeah. If you want, if you want a more specific question to lead you off in the I, betting that world. That would be great. Yeah. So I, I can pull this up on Twitter. There are probably stuff since then, but I believe somebody said something and then Robin Hansen was offering to take bets Oh, yes. Yeah, I think the operationalization was something like only 20% or less of humans of the economy of humans are employed in, I want to say 2037, something like that. Mm. Which is, it was meant to be like a proxy for like, are we going to have strong AI soon? Right. And he definitely got some takers. So yeah, you have thoughts. Are there any bets you'd want to make? What do you think of this bet? I don't know. Any thoughts of the people making the bet? I think it's a good bet. Like I that. think it's a good operationalization. I... I... I think I would bet against... 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 Well, no, hold on. Let me let me think a little bit more here. Okay, sorry. I, I will read the exact terms of his bet in case I got them wrong. Please. I'm happy to bet against anyone who sees full human level AGI realized across the entire economy as, oh, it's earlier than I said, as likely by 2033. I give you stuff mm. now and then you give me stuff after 2033 if AGI doesn't come. You just have to prove to me that I'll actually get the stuff then. He says, I suggest defining AGI as U.S. adult labor force participation rate is less than 20%. And yeah, there's some there's some takers for sure in the comments. Mm. So I'll give some like broad models I have about the current wave of development in AI, and then hopefully that will yeah be interesting and also help inform which side of this bet I'm gonna have to tweet at Robin that I'm taking. One it. it seems like the wave of GPT innovation that we've had is actually being adopted. It is not just demo tech. That's something that I now believe. Yeah. I expect that it is actually having meaningful productivity boosts for a lot of people. And random pieces of evidence of that are both for my own life, how awesome it has been coding with the assistance of GPT. The right various ways I've used it to rewrite things, the degree to which it is just better than me at like various engineering style tasks. So I don't know, all that also because I've started to see products that seem to be like using it well in some fashion where I'm like, oh yeah, this is like smart design. This is like a small example. I think I have better ones, but somebody added it into terminal commands. So you can use GPT in your terminal which I oh. was like, this is great because I've never remembered a terminal command in my life. Yeah. It was a very natural thing to do. I, but second though, I think I'm still a little skeptical about this current wave of tech fully replacing people. 
in mm -hmm. roles. I, in part, I've been burned too many times before because I really did believe that like ophthalmologists might be out of work oh. because of advances in computer vision and they're not. And same with like radiologists and also self-driving cars. I was betting on that maybe like in 2018, thinking that we'd see it much sooner than we have. So yeah, yeah it just does seem like there's a Sorry. lot. Mm. No, no, no. no, no. Just, uh, I think this is like an overall thing that I, and I think not just me, but definitely I got wrong about AI. I remember when I was in high school, I went to some computer science competition and they, somebody did a presentation about self-driving cars. And I think it was the first time I'd ever thought about it. And certainly the first thing that occurred to me is I was like, oh, well, once the computers can do it, then they're going to have such low accident rates. It's going to be awesome. But the, like, quite yeah. the opposite. I mean, which in some ways I'm like, well, I guess that makes sense because they go from the can't do it. And then the people are working on having them be able to do it. And so somewhere in the middle, they have a higher accident rate than humans. Like, I guess when I put it that way, it seems sort of clear, but it wasn't how I was thinking of it before. I was like, had this more deterministic, like, oh, well, once it's done algorithmically, then it'll be easy to get the error rate down. Right. It wasn't right. That That's the kind of thing that I think seems like the update that I've also made on a lot of these applications of it. Because I've, I've been following like benchmark progression on many of these tasks for a number of years now. And it seems like we've had human level for a long time on a lot of benchmarks. And yet I don't think that you can actually just give the algorithm a full on, uh, I don't know, write a book style task and you get a good response. And I feel like there's just, and say, I think radiology is an example. I tweeted about this a while ago. Got a lot of good examples from working people in the field about like why it hasn't replaced them like why they can't just give it to the software and it feels like that's just true in a lot of parts of the economy so i i continue to expect like high productivity gains without maybe seeing like immediate job loss from it at least over the next two years like but okay so mm. devil's advocate I, I think that's my ultimate prediction too. But if if I want to make the take the other side of it, I'd be like, well, but if the same programmer can do, I don't know, like even just three times as much, then why wouldn't I hire fewer of them? And I guess the, I mean, yeah. if I take the other side of that one, I'm like, well, maybe actually, I guess some goods go the other way. Like if the good gets more valuable, you buy more of it. So like maybe if the programmers become more productive, then then I write more code. I don't know. My pr my prediction, though, I don't know if this tracks with formal economic logic but it is what i have in my head is it we'll see bimodal distributions in a lot more professions with far with like i don't know if it's gonna be the same number of programmers but something like many more programmers in the like lower quadrant getting paid less and mm. then a few getting paid a lot lot more and basically just a split. I guess this is Tyler Cowen's averages over kind of thesis, but applied specifically yeah. to AI. Mm. And I, I don't know, I guess that's my prediction for the next few years. And then when I start yeah. thinking into 2030, I'm like, I, I really, things get kind of foggy for me. That's one reason why I might take the bet on the other side from Robin is just, it seems like there's so much transformative potential in various ways that I'm like, I don't know what my odds are, but it certainly seems far more possible than many more things are going to be like mechanized or just radically different. Yeah.
mechanized. That is a old school term. I don't know why I use that. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to go back to what you said about programmers. I, see, I, part of what confuses me here, and it's not that I necessarily think you're wrong, but the sort of no. old wisdom about programming is that, in fact, productivity differences between programmers are huge, and that within the like when people are employees, it's the pay never really reflects that. And so, if people want mm. to actually capture, if the you know, I guess this is cringe to talk about the 10x programmers, but the, but they obviously some programmers <laughs> are much more productive than others. And if they want to capture that, they have to go, I don't know, do startup or whatever else. Yeah, because. I, because I don't know the pre the measurement is hard, or the pressures for egalitarianism are, are strong dynamic. enough. I mean, it seems like measurement is not that hard. But then, like, what? I, but then, I don't know. Like salespeople, mm. I guess measurement is easy enough that it overcomes whatever tendencies towards egalitarianism, and people people get paid based on what they do. Yeah, I don't know if this is quite the same as the measurement problem, or it's not how I would describe it. But the salespeople example, I think is a good example of because it is a eat what you kill profession. It is just a far more direct incentive. And right. there is no third party that needs to allocate things in some way that like yeah. the team spirit. And I say this is somebody who has never really worked in a sales profession. <laughs> so plausibly it's different. But my impression yeah. of talking to friends who have is it is, like, yeah, you have a team, but it is still a solo artist kind of practice. And I right, do so it's think culturally it's very probably different. different for programmers. It's culturally very different. Yeah. And like, yeah. I think for most programming jobs, you are programming with a team. And that has right. both harder measurement problems where, okay, now you have a credit allocation problem of like who really enabled yeah. this person's success, along with trying to maintain team cohesion. Yeah, uh, so I guess... Okay, but no, now I don't that know. I, it's still a good point, though. Now yeah. that we've talked this out, I think you might be right about the productivity differential, and I think it's mostly not going to be reflected in, in salaries. Yeah, that I seems think we'll see. compelling to me. I guess we, if we look at other professions, because it wouldn't just be for programmers, like, right. should we expect sales to become even more bifurcated? I think maybe yes, and it would be reflected in salary. Yeah, Exactly. You should be able to just be think, far greater. Mm. Yeah, I think the the copywriters that embrace the the AI and they figure out their prompts and whatever. And see, I I don't know a ton about copywriting as a profession, but I I think that I'm guessing they get paid sort of by the individual copy and how well it performs in a sales type way. That that's that's my impression. That could be wrong about Seems that. Right. And yeah, I, th I think there the compensation is going to get way more skewed and some people will probably stop mm -hmm. doing it because the other people get so good. Right. Yeah. Seems right. Seems like that could apply to a number of things. I think actually this is helping me when I think about the, 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 the Hanson bet is one reason I would not take the other side of it, why I would be skeptical of a... Yeah, you know, only 20% of the workforce still being in the workforce would be, I feel like there's so many feedback loops in society that would prevent that from happening. Like in the world right. where things have not radically transformed, I think if you only had 20% of the population still currently employed, you would see a lot more buildings being burned down, a lot more civic unrest. Yeah. No, and I think the politicians 
are going to make policies to try to stabilize all of that. I think that's totally. right. Yeah. And I, I, think I had an argument. Oh, sorry. This will be, I, I had an no, argument that I think in particular, the PMC class, the professional managerial class will be threatened by some of these things. And politicians are far more responsive to their concerns than to <laughs> the rest of us. And yeah. that will drive some legislation faster. Yeah. I, I think like the, the scenario that I sometimes, I, mean, I don't, I like don't even really want to think about it because to me it seems too dystopian for like the, the other, the sort of less political solution to that is like a lot of jobs, because the paperwork can explode. Like people are going to using the AIs to create additional paperwork and then additional paperwork requirements. Right. And like everybody's listening like, to some arms race against, like, I guess this is sort of the bullshit jobs hypothesis. Like in some sense, yeah. many people are doing things that are not really necessary, but people want to have these other more nebulous, more statusy, whatever reasons that they want to hire people. And then is the make work just going to explode even without any political intervention? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's some, political solution here which is like look we can never fully trust the ai maybe this is an ai alignment yeah. and a make work program where you have a human <laughs> verifying every x number of ai's outputs and this way everybody's employed and nobody's doing real work right and i think i mean i think it sort of makes sense because insofar as people's job is to be accountable there's not really a way to have right. an ai do that at this time and I, I don't see, <laughs> yeah, it seems not that close to having that. This is in part why uh, at least some people on Twitter have said radiology is still done by humans is you need somebody accountable at the end of the day. And the software would scan the the, the tests. It would, it, would, it would try to indicate whether or not there was some kind of thing present that a radiologist needs to look at. But the radiologist still had to sign off on them. And in terms of liability, they were the ones who would be sued if they got it wrong. So in the end, it didn't really provide that big of a productivity gain. I wonder if this yeah. will just happen in many more professions. Yeah. And, and like, it could, it could, I, it would not surprise me if the way it went, and I don't, I don't have a, I don't know the technical details. I don't know how far off self-driving cars are. I think I would predict that we'd see way more of them deployed I'm by 2030. You are. Okay. On yeah. what time scale? I, 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 I am bullish on a five-year time scale without thinking okay. about any of the social implications, which I don't know. I agree with Tucker's take. I'm worried about that. It doesn't seem strictly great. But in terms of self-driving cars in cities where, like, instead of Uber, I'm calling a self-driving car in San Francisco and New York and Boston in, like, a major metropolitan area, I, I think that becomes even more of a reality it's already kind of a reality now in san francisco okay so, so there are two questions one elsewhere yes so and you think that even if the car is for all practical purposes self-driving there's not going to be a human in there supervising or you think there will be i think there won't be okay i think i predict and I, i'm talking about something i don't know that much about that with the truck drivers it's going to be that it, even past the point where cabs don't have a person in them, the trucks will because, again, somebody I think has to be accountable for the goods. And maybe there'll be some more trusted way to do it, but I, I think it'll take a while. And I don't know. And the yeah, I actually also think truck driving is a lot harder than 
people anticipate oh, where, you said where in I think cities. truck driving is a different problem. Yeah, I yeah. think cities. For truck driving, I'm not sure. And that's another area where we get into areas I don't fully grok. But yeah. it's something I learned when looking into like why, I don't know, why my initial prediction several years ago didn't take off. I like looked a little bit at self-driving trucks. There's just like a lot that truck drivers do as part of their profession that is not just keeping the truck in between the white lanes. Like it is a lot right. of loading and unloading things, a lot of maintenance, a lot of like, I think like supervising and interfacing with other people, tasks of like getting cargo and things. All of that, I, I think this goes to the ways in which like, yes, maybe actually you just need like weak AGI or full AGI before you can get some of these things automated. Because there's yeah. a, a lot of generality in, in, the, in the job of a truck driver. Yeah, I think I think that sounds right to me. So okay, you're. I, I think I would agree with with what you're saying. Bullish on the cabs in cities, but not so much yep. on the, in the next five years on truck drivers being replaced. Yeah, which I think I'm stealing this from somebody, but I do think it's a beautiful sign of irony that it seems much <laughs> more likely that the opinion columnists who were writing about the way that like truck driving would be automated five years ago are far more likely to be automated now oh, than yeah. the truck drivers. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. But I, yeah, that would, do, okay, that, that's another prediction you could make or not. Do you think any, I don't know what this means, major news publication that is not comedy mm. will regularly, like a regular segment where they put what the AI writes about something? Oh, that's a good question. I think comedy, I'm going to say yes, oh, absolutely. I, Comedians are going to do it. Comedy, I think yes. Uh, how familiar are you with VTubers or the whole movement of like avatars that are AI generated? I should be clear. Not, I'm not, not. familiar. I'm curious. <laughs> no, I'm well, not. It seems like it's taking off. <laughs> Maybe we need to do a segment at some point where we talk to one. But it seems like it's taking off and strikes me as like a real possible avenue for exactly what you're talking about, which is just almost fully ai generated i expect there'll be some human in the mix for a little while but like almost fully ai generated personalities interesting so i don't know if a major one will do it for a while i do think that a startup vertical will do it in the next arbitrary length of time i'm gonna say three years we'll okay. see a, a like who did people used to write to? A Miss Manners style yeah, columnist? That's right. Uh, yeah. what's, what's her name? But yeah, Miss Manners. Yeah, one of those. I think we'll see that. That's okay. The uh, well, definitely, I'm going to go back through this transcript, by the way. We need to get all these predictions out. And also, what is, what's what's your take on that? Do you think yes, no? Some the VTuber thing? Numerical comp. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to defer to you on that one. I, I know little enough about this. <laughs> I have my finger on the pulse of what the youth are into, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you it's messed up, and the youth are wrong. Okay, next next prediction, since since we're going to do some. How much do you think AI is going to come up in the next round of presidential debates? Do you think it'll happen in the primaries? Do you think I it'll happen in the general? Definitely think it will. I, I think okay. that people are... I'm going to go strong prediction on this. I don't know what that turns to in... Uh, I should be better at making percentages on this but i'm I, i'm willing to definitely go above 50 percent. it's mentioned at least one time in all of the debates i think actually that's even i should say like i'm gonna go over i'm gonna go 70 percent or higher that it's mentioned in at least 
one of the one of the debates. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and I guess can, a, okay, a and better next, question is like a strong topic. And or, what sorry, are the primaries? Be like, does it become like an argument in the primary? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think so. Maybe like I'll like cut that down to like I don't know. Now I'm just really pulling numbers out, but like 55, 60, it gets a like like a it's like an actual like topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, that's yep. pretty high. Yeah, I think pretty I think high. that's a little higher than I was thinking, but but I think you I again I would probably defer to you on this. I had been thinking I don't know. I think I would have said maybe more like. 35, 40% it'll happen in the primaries. But in part because I I think I was surprised how, I think that the Democratic primary debates were happening last time during COVID. Yeah, during COVID. And it it, it did come up, but it was a little later than I would have thought. And I, yeah, so I guess maybe this is like my theme is I'm always trying to fight the last war with my predictions. Uh, another argu- way to put that is if you're trying to like have an outside view and you reference class. Well, I'm just like, no, 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 it is in the discourse. <laughs> but that is kind of mine is strictly inside view is I'm like, I think that this has dominated the discourse over the past month or two months. And yeah, we're getting true. like Wall Street Journal articles now about like dealing with AI grief, all of these topics. That no, it's like, a good point. There have been news articles. Journal. Yeah. No, I, th- yeah. I think you've persuaded and me that. I think the news yeah. just set the tenor. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My turn. When do you think, if slash when, would you expect to see a major Luddite-style protest or event? doesn't have to be a protest, but you get kind of what I'm pointing at. Yeah, I get when you first said that, I was like, my stereotype of different populations, I'm like, I think maybe we see this in Europe first. Mm. So that feels because, more right. I don't know, like, for, and I don't want to, again, I'm talking about things I don't know that much about, but I think the base rate of like, is there a major protest happening right now in France, for example, is <laughs> very high. France is all the time. It's, yeah, it's, I think they're so. so. They're so professional about it. They're just doing it right. constantly. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I used to. I took French in high school. I my French is not that great, but I, for a while, I tried to watch French news. It was like I don't know. I thought it would help me mm. get better at French. And but that was part of what struck me. I was like, oh, it's, this news is all about either American things or it's about local protests. Which again, I'm so. This is probably an offensive thing to say to French people, but this was this was my impression as American. From I, what I feel watched. like they need to own that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, okay, that's, that's my, I haven't answered your real question yet, but I think, and also, isn't there some, like, I want to say German legislation or something that just came out about, Mm. like, you have the right to insist that your personal information be removed from any AI training set. Isn't there something like that happening? there's definitely something like that. I don't like know that. if it was German um, or not. And it's, yeah. I don't know how far it got. Certainly people were like, well, that, I mean, as with many of these laws, it's like written by people with like not a lot of, right. it's sort of impractical given the architecture to implement it the way that the law, which is maybe the intended point of the law. Maybe they're, they're sort of hoping to effectively ban it. But, but anyway, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say, so how is just any protest that's covered, let's say that's covered by 
some news. Yeah. Something. It was covered by some news and it can't just be like 10 people milling around right, right. just for the photograph or something. It needs to have that kind of, you know, it has to have a spark of aliveness of a protest, a, la, yeah. a French protest where something's yeah. getting burned. Not nah, something doesn't have to get burned, but you get it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I definitely think that it's, of course, much more likely if there is some major AI incident. Yeah. And I, and it doesn't have to be a huge incident. It's just some newsworthy thing where the AI screws something up. I don't. I think mm-hmm. then that's pretty likely to spark a protest. I don't want to like make this too conjunctive, but I guess I'm trying to think right. So I think I think it could happen. Yeah. What scenarios? I see. Yeah. Right, right. So it could either be like there's some accident that's newsworthy because of an AI, or maybe there's some, even if this isn't broadly what's happening, there's some major unemployment event due to an AI that I think that's could a bit spark. what I had in mind. Yeah. Yeah. That could totally spark a protest. I also think we could, it's you said Luddite. I also, I feel like there's already some small contingent that's like, but we're not treating AIs well enough too, which is not really a Luddite thing. I don't know that those people are inclined to go out and protest, but I think there's some sentiment and it will only grow because I mean, that's another one of those things we talk about is like, I think this is again, a pretty cold take among people who've thought about it, but I think people are going to start falling in love with these AIs soon. Yeah. I mean, arguably they already have, I don't, I didn't look into it myself, but I remember reading about the replica AIs. Yeah, and, and know, for I mean, people who didn't, like I think the bar is fairly oh, low for people that are pretty lonely. Like Eliza really was a was fun to interact with for the I, for people who don't know. That was like yeah. a very early chatbot that did a not even very interesting version of sort of repeating back what people said and asking them some more questions about it. And it was clearly yep. to an adversarial examiner, clearly not very intelligent. But but still, I think I, to me this is one of the sort of compelling mysteries and people say they have explanations to me it still feels mysterious about human communication that there aren't facts Mm. according to me relatively formulaic ways to interact with people as described in communication books most of which say similar things that tend to be actually pretty fulfilling for people and i think most people don't spend a lot of time leaning on these formulas what's an example so I, I, for example, I'm a fan of nonviolent communication, but cool. like lots of activism sort of things like that. Like, like okay, so a really basic one. I'm also, you know, that book, I Never Split the Difference? The hostage. That, that's another yes. one of those. There's so many things. It's like if somebody says something, even just being like, oh, yeah, like tell me more about that. Like, like that's sort of the yeah. most basic unresponsive formula where people are like, mm, yeah, like they make some interested noise and they want the person to keep talking. I feel like many people actually really like it when they're engaged with a counterparty that's doing that. And then I think maybe, um, yeah. And then I think a level beyond that is when people say things in response that both reflect that they understand what the person is saying by some sort of rephrasing. And in a way that then- What I'm hearing when you say that is that it's written. No, sorry, that was too easy. But exactly. (laughs) Anyway. And it, look, I I don't know. I consider myself extremely privileged in life to have, I don't know, people that I really enjoy talking to and actually, I don't know, like I have, yeah, I don't really know how to put it, but like I- And that are alive, sentient humans. Right, yes. I actually, I have, I know a lot of humans that are that are pretty down to talk. 
But I think I think there's a substantial contingent of people that doesn't so much. And yeah. so I think it's combined that there are relatively formulaic ways of interacting that I think tend to work okay for people and that a lot of people are kind of lonely. Look, okay, sorry, here's a more concrete prediction. I think, and I don't know how it's going to work out in a regulatory way, but I think, and this is already starting to happen, I, I think AI therapists are going to be better than the median human therapist in the next few years if they aren't already. And I partly say yeah, this because right. I think the bar is low. No insult intended to therapists. I think it's, but I think some of the, some of the advantages that the AI has is one, I mean, it seems trivial if somebody has an AI therapist, unless there's some idiotic insurance rules that someone could access it on demand, which I think is a major value add. Talking to someone yep. when, when I'm upset as opposed to once a week seems huge. Also, I think many people will have an easier time being vulnerable with an AI. And then additionally, yeah, also seems very plausible. Like I, you know, something I've been pretty into internal family systems therapy over the past decade or so. Mm. I, I first, I first heard about it, and then I bought the book. And so the book comes with an appendix that's it's it's honestly very formulaic. So this is another example of formulaic communication that I think people tend to be, be pretty engaged with. Like it's not right. Fully formula, we're like, okay, well, you do this part of you. How does how do you feel towards this part of you? And then it's like, okay, well, this, you know, okay, now it's like a tree of, and they have it in the appendix, and they map out all these questions. And is there some human discernment? Like, of course, there are many ways that people can add value to this, but I think right. the formula gets people pretty far. And then, especially <laughs> if you ask yeah. this AI, like, it, maybe I'm going on about this too much, but like people could pick their modality. Maybe somebody's like, I want to try internal family systems this yep. week. I want to try cognitive behavioral therapy. They're going to be fluent in all these things. They're going to be available yep. on demand. I think it's not going to feel... Near perfect memory. Near perfect memory will feel pretty easy to open up to them. So anyway, that that's my that's my prediction. I think yeah. AI therapists are going to outperform. I don't know whether people will adopt them much, but I think they might because I think it's pretty easy to make some business. I, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I think adoption will also. Be I saw a great somewhere. prompt that was, I saw a great prompt that was like, "All right, now pretend to be Chat GPT ad sponsored, and it would <laughs> like include a mention of the Crunchwrap Supreme or something like that at the tail yeah. end of every random number of ones, and make yeah. it a natural segue, and it nailed it. So I really nice. do think you could have an AI therapist slash best friend slash lover. Oh, that's how you monetize it. Usually worse than a mention of a Pepsi. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> seems right, right? Like, okay, so I, like... I still haven't answered you know... <laughs> your question. I, I'll. I, this is me trying to like imagine scenarios. AI protests yeah. when. So this is like my. Is a probability in the next interval of time, or like my point estimate for when it will occur? Pick either, whichever one feels. I don't know, maybe easiest or like best to visualize. Oh, also, sorry. Do we count like the I don't know the sort of our people in a way like the Yudkowsky rationalists? Mm -hmm. Like if they if they set up a protest, does that count? I was going to ask. It does Luddite also? Should I be using Yudite as the term? Yeah, it is. I think. Yeah. I feel like no. I okay, don't think count. it counts. Yeah, that okay. seems somehow like not correct. It's not. It's not not authentic people movement i don't know why i say that though fair enough yeah 
Okay, I guess I'm going to say three years. I and I think yeah, right on. I think having talked this through, I kind of wanted to say something sooner, but I think I think the thing is like there's so many causes that people care about a lot that never get protests because it's only like the protester class that protests. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I don't oh, yeah. really, yeah, yeah. I don't think I understand I the, the mind of the protester class other than that. I think it right. doesn't like large unemployment events. I think that's something. I think it also doesn't like restriction of freedoms. Yeah. Or at least some, but again, some of them, like, did we see any protests about like the, I forget, you know, like the, what do you, the Patriot Act or something? No, like we didn't see protests about that, right? I think we saw a few. I don't know what the scale was. I remember. Oh, sorry. Wait, okay. I thought of a new scenario. I thought of a new scenario, which is anti-war protests are totally a thing. So what if there's some sort of AI weapons event? I still am going to go with three years, but that's now a new scenario that, that seems sort of plausible to me. Yeah. No, I don't know. This seems it seems quite possible. So uh, three years, you would give it at like 70, 80 percent, some kind of like high level oh, of confidence or is it more like, okay, so I'm, sorry, I said that now was I'm putting point. you on it. No, it's good. That I said point estimate. estimate. I mean, what, what exactly? I think point estimate means like median, right? Yeah. So I think I meant like 50 percent it happens by then. Is that what point? Yeah, I think that's what point estimate means. Oh, I, I, I feel like point could mean be used a couple ways, but that seems like a very fair way to use it. Oh, we might want to wrap up as it is approaching midnight here on the East Coast. Oh, are you on the East Coast now? You wanna, I, I'm back in the great state of North Carolina right now. Oh, I didn't quite realize that. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Having good. made the return. Yes. Good. I will be taking an Amtrak tomorrow to visit my sister up in Virginia, but otherwise North Carolina for a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, this is good yeah. to catch up and, and just talk about stuff. This is, I guess people yeah. can get used to it because if we don't have a guest for a particular week, we're going to try to keep doing this. We, I think people need parasocial relationships that are not just AI (laughs) and we're doing our part here. And I think I'm also on demand. If anybody wants somebody not skilled in any of the modalities people talked about, just (laughs) subscribe to the premium subscription. We're going to roll out. (laughs) And I promise to try. All our our truly unhinged takes only for the, you know, hundred dollar a month subscribers. That's for the premium. Yep. Oh, wow. Wait, we can, that's a great plan. We'll train a chat bot in our style and then <laughs> premium subscribers get that and it will also include whatever hallucinated hot takes you want from it that's right yeah, perfect like, you there's know, the monetization I mean, we, there was the the ai the eliezer gives up on AI alignment i don't know is it a deep fake i mean it was that obviously was fake but it, it was pretty funny yeah yeah i like sure it things to come Oh, that is, I, I guess I'm, I'm still not on this. I'm like, what specific scenarios? Like, do you think if some deep fake causes a problem that could cause a protest? Maybe. I don't know what it would be. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be some kind of unemployment thing. As you pointed out, that seems like the most likely one to me. Or a scandal involving AI with a 
beloved celebrity or sacred value of some kind. There was a Twitch streamer who I don't know the details. I don't follow this community at all, but I remember was apologizing for watching deep fake horns of his fellow Twitch Uh, streamer. Yeah, I saw this discourse. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, obviously kind of messed up, but something like that. Hmm? Somebody caught the streamer doing it, right? Somebody caught the streamer doing it, exactly. It was like on his stream, he's like switching away from it. Bad OPSEC. Bad OPSEC. That's actually one of the big takeaways here is, wow, come on, terrible OPSEC. But something like that, I could see causing some kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, I think something I don't get about protests or is like, it seems like there's catalyzing movements, catalyzing triggers that yeah. you would never predict ahead of time. And so maybe it was an unfair question to me, but like the classic like Arab Spring protest that was set mm. by a Tunisian street vendor setting himself a fire. It feels like conditions become very ripe for protest. And then the actual thing that causes it is uh, who knows yeah. what. Yeah, it'll. I mean, we'll probably get to find out, so. We'll yes. report back on that when it happens, I guess. Yep. And we should create manifold markets or cheap predictions on various ones of these. Oh, yeah, that's fun. see what fun. other people's predictions are on this. Yeah, yeah, I like that. We put More opportunities to show notes. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, right, I think, well, I think that's off. it for today. But we'll mm-hmm. record another one soon. Yep. Talk to you, Divya, and everyone else later. <laughs>